0: Embracing the Journey, a program focused on the freedom that comes from being able to talk about death. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. Today we are talking with Shelly ex Executive Director at the California Heritage Indigenous Research Project, also known as CHIRP, and Spokesperson, Tribal Council Member for the Nevada City Rancheria Nisenan Tribe. Welcome, Shelly.
1: Hi there. How are you this, this wonderful day?
0: we're doing great and so glad you're here and Shelly can you give us a little bit of background on yourself
1: sure <laughs> oh excuse me my name is Shelly Covert um I am the spokesperson for the Nevada city ranchery in the tribe and um, boy a, a lot of responsibility has fallen to me as, as a part of our family and part of our tribe. And, you know, it's so interesting, Lori, because we're going to be speaking about death today. And so much of my responsibility and so much of what I do in the community is because of death. It's because of an elder passing. It's because I happen to be one of those kids who sat around And listen to the elders all the time. Um, I didn't want to be outside with all the other kids. I'm an only child. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Um, But, you know, I used to be a musician. Um, That was my former life, I guess, before I began my journey, uh, really supporting my tribe, trying to do all I can to get uh, our federal recognition back for our tribe. So we were federally recognized up until 1964, and then uh, we were terminated by the government. So we are a terminated California Rancheria is the actual verbiage of that. Um, But it's so interesting, you know, trying to introduce myself, yet I'm, I'm steeped in the conversation we're about to have right now and how amazingly intertwined the two conversations are with my life today. Um, My responsibilities, what I do, my life's work, I suppose I call it now that I'm getting older and, and the conversation around death.
0: Well, in your family, have you always been able to talk about death openly?
1: You know, personally in my family, um, you know, my dad uh, is now native and um, it's my mom's side that's native. Um, I, I honestly don't remember a lot of open conversations around death. I think that most of the time the conversation came up, it's when people were maybe ill or older and nearing, you know, end of life. And at that point in time, it gets to be uncomfortable because you want to jinx somebody or, you know, start talking about something prematurely. And then never having, I guess, the foresight to have these conversations early are, my personal family is not one of planning or I never learned about, you know, nobody has savings accounts or, um, you know, the the accounts, the, the money you get from work, 501K, 401K, 501K, I don't even know what number it is, that number. Um, and so with that there was no there's no wills there's no planning in that way and um I, I assumed on my native side it's because you know we were we were an oral society and we did not read and write and do that kind of thing and paperwork banks that kind of thing where it wasn't a you know wasn't part of the conversation um i i'm not sure why it's really interesting again to uh, I love bringing this topic into, into context with everything else that's happening in my life and, and the way I am. <laughs> it's, um, there are some really weird like question marks. Like, No, I actually don't think as much, especially for my Native side, that it's part of the culture. It's so deeply entrenched and such an important piece of everything is our death rituals and things that went around... Um, surrounding death, but no, I do not think, I'm trying to think back through all my recent elders that have passed away and family members. And no, it was, I would say it was a tiny bit of a taboo subject, even if you know someone's maybe deathly ill. So
0: yeah, is this, this, we may have already top uh, touched on this, but in the Nisanan culture, how is death a part of life? And is there an openness in discussing dying and death beyond your family
1: oh yeah there was um you know we're so we're a cremating society um a huge part of culture is the burning of the person when they pass away the releasing of their spirit so they can go on their spirit journey shelly so you were just talking about
0: how uh, with cre- cremation that that is something um, that's involved and uh, as people go on their spiritual journey
1: yeah you want to continue
0: to talk about that
1: yeah thank you so um, cremation is the center point of Nisanang cultural death practices and um, so the people would be cremated usually the morning after death and and um, there would be a large ceremony with um, lots of protocol and custom, you know, very, very old, you know, and culture is thousands of years old. And um, the we, so we had burning grounds. So there are a lot of local burning grounds. Sometimes I worry that people don't know that we were a cremating society and that um, if you're not, if people are doing ground moving projects, you know, they can, Sometimes come into a cremation site and not know that they're in a burial. Um, so the the person was burned, and then there, what remained, which was very little sometimes, um, was interned uh, and buried. And there was a large cry, a large ceremony around all of that. Very, very important to the family. Sometimes people would actually hire and um, bring in mourners, other people to cry. So there's something very uh, essential about that that crying and that mourning together to send that person on their spirit journey. Um, so but the people were burned to really release their spirit to go. Um, it would travel down to our sacred mountain Estomiani, which today we know as the Marysville Buttes. Um that place is very sacred to us where all life comes from and where we go when we die. So once the spirit enters the mountain, um you get to have your first spirit food and you see your ancestors there in the large roundhouse that uh is at the top of the mountain, and then the spirit goes off to the Milky Way. So um after that, annually, and then they would have a big cry every five to seven years where the bones of those uh, previous burns would be unearthed and another cry would happen. There was a lot of, like I said, a lot of protocol around the time of the burning and uh, we had some very strict mourning practices uh, where the ashes was mixed with pine pitch and worn, uh, the hair of the women was sheared all the way down to the scalp and this pine pitch and this ash mix was worn around the, across the head on the face, across the chest, and down the arms, and on that of the children as well, for um, very close loved ones. And that was worn until it came off on its own, which was sometimes uh, up to a year where the people would be in mourning, very deep mourning for loved ones that had passed. And, um, you know, in the 1860s, the burning of both the land, uh, because we burned the land here. Um, to keep the keep the soil and the acorns and the trees and everything uh, rid of insects so it was very healthy for the for the land to be burned but also at the same time the burning practices of the people was also outlawed so uh, the Nisanon could no longer carry on those ancient ceremonies in the way that they did. So this is still something that remains in the tribe. It's sort of a sore spot with the, with the government. Um, Because we're not federally recognized, we don't have that government to government relationship to discuss these kind of things. This is all part of NAGPRA, the Native American Graves Repatriation Act. Um, So, you know, if somebody-
0: a minute here, Shelly, to let yes. uh, our listeners know that they're listening to Embracing the Journey on KVMR, and I'm Lori Burkhart-Frank, and my she- guest today is Shelly Covert, Executive Director at California Heritage Indigenous Research Project, also known as CHIRP, and Spokesperson Tribal Council Member for Nevada City Rancheria Nisanon Tribe. So you're, as you're talking about these customs of, of burning and, and uh, then being able to to after five to seven years unearth what was left and then suddenly not having that opportunity anymore to to have that practice is that what I'm hearing?
1: Yes and um, I guess I was saying because we are not federally recognized access to these kind of ancient ceremonial, practices and protocol uh, were barred from those still, Um, you know, if we had our own land and our sovereignty and self-determination and all the things, the rights that are given to Native people, um, you know, without that, we remain in this state of, you know, where sometimes I get a little, I get a little, um, I'm not a bitter person at all, and uh, but I am a little sarcastic. I guess my sarcasm comes in where we're doing all these amazing things, but if we can't burn our people and send them off to the afterlife in the way that we're supposed to, what is it all for? Um, we You have to be federally recognized in order to participate in NAGPRA. Like I, I was saying, uh, I hate to get too in the weeds about this stuff, but it's all so interlinked that... Um, If they find, if somebody finds uh, an old burial and they want to return our ancestral remains to us, we can't accept them because we're not federally recognized. So it all comes down to, you know, these ancient practices of, of death. Um, And, and I do feel like, well, wow, if we can't, if I can't, you know, be burned on the pyre, like those before me, um, oh, sorry, um, you know, I get, I get to that moment where like, well, what's it all for? And, um, such beauty that, that is not being able to be engaged this ancient, ancient way of life. And just sometimes that makes me sad, you know?
0: Absolutely. And so what is the the current, um, practice now, since this isn't something that you can continue to do?
1: Well, you know, it's a it's a varied thing. Um, some people are buried in in body, you know, in a casket. Um, but m- I would say most of at least my immediate family in the tribe. Um, well, I guess most of the tribal families do cremate. We just do it in a modern way. So none of the practices, protocols, and cultural um, aspects are brought forward. Sometimes you, when the people go into the ground after they're cremated, we've been trying to revitalize some of those, those practices. Um, our tribal chairman, Richard Johnson, his mom passed away. Oh, geez, it's been probably almost 10 years ago now. And we had a ceremonial burn for her. We just did a little tiny fire. We burned pictures and offerings for her. She was cremated and then she was her remains were put into the ground um and that was beautiful and it felt really good but again it just poked in me how far we have to go to get those practices back <laughs> you know for it to be legal yes then. and and Shelly can you
0: speak more about the crying practice I, I find that very um uh interesting because certainly when people pass away there's often lots of crying, but it sounds like this is a much uh, bigger ritual.
1: Yes, and, and my grandma, uh, Carmel.
0: So your grandma like, Carmel, you're saying?
1: Yes, um, my grandma Carmel, who passed away when she was 94, I think she's been gone now three years. Um, she was orphaned at two and raised on the auburn indian rancheria and so the old ladies on the reservation raised her and she went to some of these cries in the 1920s um and she told me how they would wail and other tribal elders have told me like it's a sound that they didn't even think that they could make anymore because it's just like this and you see in some of the historical writings that they people are always scared of it they always i don't know why they always associate it with something satanic <laughs> because it's just maybe something different or scary sounding for them um you know some of the settlers that were writing down things in their journals have said this and um but there was this wailing like this this just this outward expression of deep grief and sorrow. And then grandma said the old ladies would wipe each other's tears. Then they would wail and cry. Some of the remaining family would try to throw themselves on the pyre with the dead and the family members would hold them back. Um, But they just they would just let it all out. And then there's also protocol around it. After after that ceremony, you're not supposed to think of the dead and be sorrowful because you can, they want to stay with you. They want to, um, there's a, there's a, They would build like little fences around their house doorways so that the spirit as it's wandering and finding its way off to afterlife that they don't just find their way back into the house, (laughs) you know, and it was really interesting. My grandpa Dutch had an actual pair of cemetery shoes like they did. You don't want the you're trying not to have the spirits follow you home like you. It sounds like you just go and you just lay it all out there with your family and relatives, and then you're in deep mourning and you just don't talk about it anymore after that for, for, you know, quite some time. Um, but you know, it's so different now. Like I know I, I didn't even see my own mom cry. till I was like in almost, I was in my late teens or my early twenties. It's the opposite now. Like there people are so, I don't know if it's just you know, modern culture or whatever, that there's this thing about crying, like it's not okay, especially if you're a man, you know, and you're a baby, if you're always running around crying or whatever, and it's such a... Um, such an unhealthy thing to not be able to weep and mourn and show your sorrow in the way that lets it out of your body. And I I really look at some of those old ceremonies and, and the stories that I know around those cries that, I mean, it was just intense. Like people just laid it all out, got it out of their system, said goodbye to their loved ones, and then, you know, tried to get on with everyday life.
0: Yeah, and I also really appreciate that you'd come back to it, but I think you said come back to it in five to seven years.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that was and more a, a larger cry. So it was you would cry for all those who had been lost in that time frame. So um, you know, and with all these, I mean it's much like today with these cries and this um, they'd staying up all night as, you know, and they would rest a little while and come back to the crying and they just like it was a job, it sounds like, like you know. Um, but the other thing is that when people passed away in our culture, all your personal belongings are burned with you. So there's no bequeathment. There's no, um, I, I would assume too, there's no fighting or squabbling over, you know, things that, um, that maybe siblings might have to battle over. I'm an only child, so I don't have those worries, but, um, yeah, everything was burned and even the house that they lived in was burned. And I know in some of the old settler um, writings, again, the historic record, the newspaper is that the Indians were so poor and starving a lot of times you know in the 1800s Um, and then they would burn like their only possessions and the the non-native people could not understand that and so that too there was this thing that they called a dead man's trade um, where you could go and actually take some they would put all the belongings on these large poles and they would go and take you could take something that you needed like a basket or a piece of clothing, as long as you traded something of value back. And that was also outlawed in the 1800s um, because I guess the people were so poor and, and onlookers just could not understand how these practices were okay, you know? Um, but really so, different society, yeah.
0: So interesting. Well, you're listening to Embracing the Journey on KBMR. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and my guest is Shelly Covert. Executive Director at California Heritage Indigenous Research Project, also known as CHIRP, and Spokesperson Tribal Council Member for Nevada City Rancheria Nisenan Tribe. Shelly, this is all just so fascinating what you're sharing. And and we've been talking about after somebody passes, Uh, but on the show, we've also talked with death doulas who help prepare people for death when they know they're dying, identifying individual needs before death conversations to have things to do or give away um, are there practices around preparing for death that you can
1: tell us about well you know the elders or people who hold knowledge you know I I can't I can't really associate many of these stories with today and the way you know our modern workings within the tribe are going on. Um, I would say it's much more individual on an individual basis than tribally wide, like it used to be. the, The most important thing, because we were an oral society is passing on the knowledge that any person has. And, you know, I would, I would take a pretty good stab and an assumption at saying that that was absolute. Anything that that person knew is being passed on as, as much as possible, um, location of gathering grounds, um, you know, where certain, uh, the creation stories, all of, all of the really important tribal information is, has to be passed from person to person for the culture to exist for these thousands of years as it did here. And, you know, I, 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 I it's so interesting. You know, I, I have to tell you, Lori, I have this I have this spot for hospice <laughs> um, because this organization supported me when both my grannies passed away. And um they were able to, I took care of both of them here with my mom's mom and my dad's mom. And my mom and dad are here with me in my house and my husband and my daughter. But um, one granny, my dad's mom was just kind of rotten. Like she's just a no nonsense, no nonsense person. And she was just mean to everybody. So there's no way I could have ever sent her to a facility, even if that had been in my realm. Um, it's just not something we do. Uh, we take care of our people still today at home because it is a true part of the culture that exists. Like we, we can't, it's our responsibility. And then my mom's mom, who is just, everyone loved her, you know? Um, but they both, they both were here. We were supported by hospice. Um, One of the social workers that worked at hospice, Judith, I can't remember her last name, but she was just everybody who came, the nurses who came because they were both on, you know, morphine and uh, all the things before passing away. And um, my grandma Carmel actually passed in the respite respite is that the right word the respite facility there on the hill um gorgeous place with lovely fabulous staff um you know she was only there I don't even think she was there a full day but both of them as soon as everybody was out of the room they left and I said well it's probably like trying to change your clothes or something like, you know, you don't want everybody looking on as you leave your body or whatever. And because everybody felt bad there, they, they wanted to be there and they stood watch, you know, at the bedside and for both grannies. And, and as soon as the, everybody was out of the room, they departed and of course it made everybody sad. And, but I did want to, I wanted to throw that in. I know, you know, I'm talking about the nice non-culture and these different things, but um, I, I appreciate hospice so much and the work that goes on and the support that you provide families who, I mean, it's the most grievous, grievous, boy, I'm at a loss for words today. It's the most important time in life. Like When I lost my grandma, it's the first super close people I've ever lost. And I can't even imagine losing my parents. I just... I feel again I feel like such a baby you know I'm like well I can't ever lose my mom and dad oh my gosh and but losing my grandmothers but having them here with me until the end uh, my other granny uh, one of the hospice nurses was here and after you know I came downstairs and found my grandma passed away um, she helped me clean her up and you know I'm sorry it makes me happy. Well, too. Um, yeah. But we cleaned her up and put her in her favorite outfit and everything. And um, it was beautiful for me. It was so beautiful. And I got to have them here at the house until until the end. And was we were able, you know, we're a whole household of adults here and we were able to love them and care for them in the way um you know, and they were right under nose. So it was like, I knew, it, I, you know, I knew grandma had her pills, like she liked it and her, she had bed sore owies and I made sure that she would, didn't have any pressure on them and all the things that probably it's for me. Um, Cause I think she was a little bit out of it toward the end, you know, especially being on the morphine and stuff. But for me, I knew she was in comfort and I suppose that's, you know, with all death rituals and and losing the people we love the most is, is you, you want that good heart feeling. And I understand why the Nisanan ceremonies were the way they were like this wailing and this crying and coming together. And then of course you always follow it up with food, lots and lots of food, (laughs) you know, to mend the soul, I suppose, and your friends and family around sharing that grief across you know, with one another. And I just picture that story my grandma told me about the old Indian ladies wiping each other's tears, which is so beautiful.
0: Well, you've shared so many fabulous stories and, and things to think about uh, tonight, Shelley. And if listeners want to know more, are there resources available? Are there books, videos, uh, websites?
1: Absolutely. So we started our nonprofit CHIRP to really support the tribe as we're seeking uh, the restoration of our federal recognition. So CHIRP can take donations, of course, and it can write for grants and it can do all of the, you know, the charitable things that a nonprofit does. And so we have beautiful website that um, we've got some great web designers who have just volunteered their time to make this portal really for information. Tell us. What that website is? Absolutely. You can go to nisanan.org, N I S E N A N.org, and that will lead you to either the tribe's webpage or our CHIRP nonprofit page. And there's just loads of digital content there. I really encourage everybody to go and spend a little time if you're curious, um, you know, thinking of volunteering or ways you can support or just getting information. Um, There's a lot of information there.
0: And we're, we've got just a couple of minutes left, and and with our focus on on being able to talk about death and the many wonderful things that you shared and perspectives you shared, is there something that you would like uh, tonight's listening audience to of uh, the program to remember or to be to think about, reflect on, in particular?
1: Uh, yeah, you know, I. I wish that, I know religion and people's cultures and everything, everybody's got their way of doing doing death, right? <laughs> um, but I just wish we could talk about it more openly when we're young and healthy and not worry about jinxing each other. And I wish in America um, it was more okay to cry just across the board, like, you know, it's such, an important part of living is letting you don't, I mean, I really think that that stuff can fester inside of you. And our bodies cry for a reason. Um, They say our tears have a different chemical makeup, um, you know, than sweat or, you know, tears of joy and tears of grief are different in, in composition. And I wish that, especially in America right now with covid and you know our political i don't even call it climate whatever it is whatever's going on where everybody's afraid and everybody's not everybody but you know there's just this thing that's out there right now and what better way you know to be able to talk openly about something we all share across humanity is death and I, I wish it could be a more open conversation, and I I wish the stigmas around um, crying was a little less. Um, yeah, thank and you, I, thank and, you I, you and I sure wish were. we. I wish we could burn our dead again <laughs> there. that would be my final say thank you lisa so much lori did i call you lisa i'm so sorry <laughs> you're just fine
0: i'm i'm lori burkert frank and i've been talking with Shelley covert executive director at california heritage indigenous research project also known as chirp and spokesperson for the tribal council member for the nevada city rancheria Nissanon tribe this is embracing the journey you can tune in and listen to Embracing the Journey the fourth Tuesday of each month at 6 30 p.m. Thank you to our engineer Ralph Henson and to Jeff Wright for our theme music. <laughs>